Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. By now, we've probably all heard of the atrocities that occurred in native boarding schools throughout North America in the years past. And in some cases, those stories actually ended not that long ago. We mourn for those children who lost their lives or lived to face trauma and perhaps even pass that trauma to their descendants. In one of my future episodes this season, I'll be covering more information about the boarding schools, so please stay tuned for that. But today, we'll have a more hopeful discussion around a particular Native American boarding school, and I hope to shed some light on the fact that some of the remaining schools are doing a lot of good for our Indigenous communities, and they're actually crucial to the future of our Native culture, traditions, and history. A primary difference in the story of these boarding schools today is that they're no longer run by the church, but are under the control of certain tribes or the Bureau of Indian Education, and are primarily, if not solely, in some cases, led by natives. In my hometown of Anadarko, Oklahoma, my father worked at one of four off-reservation native boarding schools still in operation today called Riverside Indian School, which is also the oldest of the boarding schools. And the experience of the children there now is much different than the years past. Today, Riverside is a place of healing from the past, a place where students can learn their tribe's culture, traditions, language, and more. I talked to many alumni from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and so on, and they attribute their success, love of their culture, lifelong friendships, inspiration from teachers and faculty, and sometimes even their survival to Riverside. In fact, there are quite a few teachers at the school today who had also been students there. My guest today is a member of the Kiowa tribe and works at Riverside Indian School. Timothy Yego was raised in Carnegie, Oklahoma, which is where the Kiowa tribal headquarters is located. And after graduating in 1979 from Carnegie High School, he attended Bacon Junior College in Muskogee, Oklahoma, which was founded in 1880 and is the oldest higher education institution for Native Americans in the U.S., He began his work at Riverside in 2001 as a counselor tech while working on his teacher certification and gaining his master's in education administration. 
He was also deployed in 2003 and 2004 to Afghanistan with the National Guard, retiring from the Guard in 2006. Thank you so much, Timothy, for your service and welcome. Aho. Honde, honde, and bone, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. It's good to be with you. Amen to that. With all the, you know, heartbreaking news that's been known, but is coming to light even more right now, I'm glad to say we now have something to celebrate, right, Tim? That is absolutely right, Rachel. We at Riverside Indian School, we are celebrating our sesquicentennial this year, which is our 150th year. I'm glad you um, mentioned what a sesquicentennial is because I don't think I've ever said that word, but also I had to think about, (laughs) oh yeah, that's 150 years. That's awesome. Well, that is exciting. Congratulations. And why don't you give our listeners a high level overview about Riverside? Sure. So Riverside is located in Anadarko, Oklahoma, and it was established in 1871. And like you said, it's the oldest surviving boarding school in the U.S. And at one time, there was 350 native boarding schools um, in the past. But right now, there's about 64 uh, native boarding school that remains. And so then there are still four um, off-reservation schools in Riverside as being one of them. And the other three are Sherman Indian School, and that's in um, Riverside, California, and Chamawe uh, Indian School in Salem, Oregon, and Flandre Indian School in Flandre, South Dakota. And when the school first started in 1871, um, it was called the um, Wichita Agency School, but then around the uh, 1891s, uh, 1891, the name was changed to Riverside because it was located by the Washita River. Oh, yes. I, I actually swung across the Washita on a rope one time. <laughs> For those who have never been to Oklahoma, the dirt here is bright red, almost orange. And so the water is typically like a reddish brown. I mean, you know, Tim, right? (laughs) It's like you fall in the water or you play baseball and slide into base or make mud pies. And you'll definitely end up with some red stained clothing that your mama knows may as well just be thrown out instead of trying to remove. But by the way, that's why there are so many brick homes in Oklahoma as well. The dirt is great for making brick and that brick also stands up against some of the tornadoes. So everybody just learned a little bit there. Okay. Back to our subject. Thanks for that information. That's really interesting. I think a lot of people don't know that there are still four off reservation schools in the country today. So a quick recap of the past back in the late 1800s, native boarding schools were opened in order to assimilate the Indians to the white man's ways. And that even hits home for you too, right, Tim? Yeah, it sure does. But, you know, I think um, it hits homes for, you know, a lot of natives. You know, I was raised by my grandparents, my grandfather and my grandmother. And, you know, they spoke Kawa, you know, every day to each other, but yet they never spoke to us. And then one day my, uh, my grandfather, he said, you know, I wish when you guys were younger, I would have spoke more Kawa to you. Mm. But, you know, when they were growing up, you know, they got punished when they were at the boarding schools for, uh, for speaking their language. Mm. And so, you know, that's, and that was, you know, he went to school probably in the 1920s, you know, when he went to uh, Rainy Mountain, that was a school for the Kawas, my grandmother and my grandfather. And, uh, mm. and so um, maybe 1915s, you know, that's around that time because Rainy Mountain, it closed down, you know, around 1920s. And it's even had a fact even later, you know, I had uh, an uncle that went to Riverside around 1950s. And he told me the story one time that, you know, they got in trouble from the um, dorm staff for speaking Kawa to each other, that, you know, and these were Kawa men, you know, that were getting on to the students for speaking Kawa. Wow, so, really? So it's just uh, amazing, you know, how, 
my parents and, you know, not able to speak their language has an effect even now. So now today I, you know, want to learn my language. Um, so I take, you know, part in a Kawa language and cultural revitalization program just so I can learn my language. Uh, the brutality of the Indians, you know, it didn't just happen in the 1800s or the uh, early 1900s, you know, but as recent as 75, you know, years ago, there's just stories that were, my uncle, he told me a story about how, you know, when he was at home one time and he says, and they came to get me. And I know he's talking about, you know, the, um, he lived in Anadarko. And um, so he went to school at Riverside mm-hmm. and he tells me story, he was telling me the story about how they came um, from Riverside to get him. And the way he explains it is like, they just came, grabbed him. He said, I didn't even have my shoes on. They took him in the, put him in the car. Oh my God. Drove off. And he said, he remembers looking back, looking at his mother. And she, you know, she was standing on the porch crying. Oh my God. And so, you know, and that was just a, um, and that's, you know, that's recent. That's, you know, 75 years ago is when, you know, this type of stuff was happening. That's so recent. I mean, somebody could still be alive today that this happened to 75 years ago or more. That's yeah. atrocious. I can't even imagine. And, you know, the fact that you talked about how there were the Kiowa men telling the Kiowa children to stop speaking their language. I mean, what does that right. do? It, it It's like, oh, we're supposed to abandon everything we know. Okay. Wow. I wish I could have, you know, recorded my uncle because it was just, it just happened. You know, we were just sitting there talking and then he started talking, you know, I, I didn't ask him questions. He just started talking, you know, and, wow. and he ended up, he ended up doing great things, you know, you know, with his life. And he ended up really helping the, the Indian community, you know, wherever he went, you know, he went to Kansas and to um, Seattle, Washington and everywhere he went, you know, because of, it might've been tough at the time, you know, for him to leave his home. But I think the influence that, you know, Riverside had on him was a great part. You know, he was in the Korean War. And so he was really a mover and shaker in the oh. Indian community. And so, you know. Survivor, but thriver as well. So that's it. I was trying to find the words <laughs> to say. That's it. It's amazing. He did great thing. So, you know, my uh, grandpa was in the Korean War as well, and he was Choctaw. A lot of them are not still living today, of course, but wish I could get all of them together and say, did any of y'all meet anywhere? Did you meet your fellow <laughs> natives when you were in the war? Yeah. When I was in Afghanistan, you know, I knew there were some natives there. I mean, we're Oklahoma, you know, National Guard. True. And so I just um, kind of put out a big sign in the cafeteria that said, you know, natives, you know, um, we're going to meet at the flagpole, you know, this certain day. Just awesome. And, you know, there was quite a few that showed up and, you know, we kind of just kind of visit with each other and we took a picture and we put it in, um, I think it was the Indian Times or something like that. And, Oh, that's awesome. Do you know where it is? Can we find that somewhere? I, you know what? I do. I have to look for that. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Um, and that's been, that's been some times ago now. Wow. <clears throat> I love that. Yeah. I mean, and, and just think if you had thought about that, maybe, maybe yeah. some of our grandparents did, or maybe they were trying to hide it back then. You never know. Yeah. And that's probably the case right there. Thank you for sharing that story about your uncle. And I know that that there's that thing we all talk about called historical trauma that can pass down in families and it can be, can turn up in different ways and super proud of the things that he did um, past that time and must be so proud of him. So at one time Riverside was similar to some of these boarding schools that we talk about. Again, your uncle was taken from his home and and brought to Riverside, but it sounds like he actually had a decent time there and actually talked favorably about it, but not every child did with every boarding school. So tell us more about the history, but how Riverside has also morphed into the positive experience that it is today, because I think people may not even know that. So I'm going to kind of go way back to the history. Please do. um, So back before, you know, after the Civil War, you know, U.S. Grant, he was a president. And so the Quakers, you know, they, they were 
big movement in starting the uh, boarding schools. And and so President Grant, you know, he sent some of the, Quaker, the Quakers to establish um, Indian agencies in the Indian Territory. And then so like that in Kansas, and there was one in um, Fort Sill, you know, the Cowboys and the Comanches, you know, mm-hmm. they had an agency there. And the Wichita's, you know, um, they had an agency. Um, you know, some things happened that was pretty bad, but so it was shut down. But then back in 1871, um, the Wichita agency and the affiliated tribes in that area, you know, it was established. And but also though, when the um, Quakers would go and set up these agencies, they would also, you know, set up schools too for the Indian students. And so um, the Wichita agency uh, back in 1871, a uh, person named A.J. Standings, you know, he started the school and the um, Thomas C. Uh, Beatty, you know, both of these guys were Quakers. You know, he was hired to be the uh, first principal, and he traveled from um, Cedar Rapids, um, Iowa. And, and he wrote a book, Thomas D. Beatty. That's where I kind of get most, a lot of this information ah. was Quakers Among the Indians. It's okay. by uh, Thomas C. Beatty. He talks about, you know, Beatty when he uh, first arrived, and he, he tells a story about his travels and all that. But, you know, but when he gets to uh, Riverside, he says, um, well, it wasn't Riverside at the time. It was the um, Wichita Agency. And he says that uh, there were six to eight students, and uh, most of the students were Kawa. And at the time, it wasn't a boarding school. Um, it was just a um, school that the kids would come to. And so they lived two to three, you know, four or five miles away, the students. And he noticed that that they would kind of stay stay the night sometimes. They would, like, hmm. get to where they can to keep the wind out. And he knew that if he did not do something about this, that when winter came, the students were going to stop coming. Oh. So he got um, A.J. Standings and himself, and they, they were, it was at the um, Wichita uh, Commissary, and so they um, and it had an upstairs, and so they just fixed it to where they would have a place for uh, the students to stay and to sleep, and and so um, they went to work doing that, and and then on November the 15th, 1871, um, Rivers, uh, well, which I keep on saying Riverside, it opened uh, with 11 students as a boarding school. And at the end of the year, it ended up being uh, 38 students, you know, and ended up um, going to school there at the end of the year. And so uh, the school, you know, of course, it was called Wichita Agency School, or they called it the Quaker School, you know, in that area. And that first school burnt down, you know, like a year later. But then they, so they rebuilt the school and, and that school even burnt down. And then around in 1978, um, where we are founded now, where Riverside's at now. Mm-hmm. They built a, another school, and it was called the um, Wichita Industrial Boarding School. And so it was called that until, like, in 1988, whenever the, uh, the Indian schools, they were placed in their, the Department of Interior. So what was happening, though, you know, the Kiowas were, they were at Fort Sill, but they moved to the Washita River. Mm-hmm. And so, but they had a school also. And so they were on the, um, they were on the south side of the uh, Washita River and the Wichita um, school uh, was on the um, north side. And so once this was um, turned over to the D- Department of Interior, you know, they came down to visit. Um, the Secretary of Interior came down to visit and he began to just call it when they were doing his notes, he began to call it the school by the river. And so then eventually it just became Riverside. And uh, of course, the Kiowa school, it was called the Washita school. And then you had the Wichita schools, <laughs> the Washita school, Wichita and so just to, to find the difference, you know, the one that was closer to the river, which was Riverside, and, and that's how it became the, the name Riverside. And then, and, you know, it was called Riverside School, and then eventually it just stuck around the 1900s. It was called Riverside Indian School. So something I wanted to clarify too earlier, I think you were saying 1988. 1888. And, okay, so no, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, no. For our listeners, I just wanted to clarify, because this is really interesting stuff I didn't even know. 
you know, that it went through all these name changes and that there were the kids that came from, um, that were on the other side of the river. Wow. This is, this is cool. um, Around the Anadarko and, you know, the Wichita agency was there before Anadarko became a town. And so in 1878, 1878 is when it was uh, rebuilt and it was called the uh, Wichita Industrial Boarding School. Huh. And then, and then in 1888 is whenever, you know, the uh, Department of Interior took over the, um, the Indian schools. Oh my gosh. That's, and you know, there's all those fires. There's always a fire that. Yeah. Well, and then one of the most um, tragic fires happened on April the 28th in 1911, where it um, destroyed the whole girl's dorm. Um, No. The Anadarko Fire Department and they got there and, and their hoses would match up with the fire hydrants and oh. there was no pressure and, and that was the biggest loss. And there was fatalities in that one, it sounds like. There was. Um, oh. I think there was one lost. And so um and then finally, you know, and believe it or not, you know, in nineteen thirteen, you know, they got you know electricity out at the school and the majority of the population, you know, they didn't even have um electricity. But you know, Riverside had electric electricity there. Huh. And it was a, a school that was up to the seventh grade, you know, in the thirties. And, but then it finally around in 1933, it became a, um, 1933, it, it, you know, they started adding a school each year. And so finally it became a full high school accredited high school in around 1939. And the things were happening real. I mean, it was really booming and, and things were going real good for Riverside in the thirties. You know, it had a um, four age club, it had boy hmm. scouts, girl scouts, and, you know, they were beginning to let the students, you know, um, learn their native crafts and arts, you know, back in that time that their ancestors taught them. And so, um, Oh, wow. Do you think at that time that they were also still forcing them to come to the schools or was it more of a choice? You think the way it reads is like, it was more of a choice, but I think, so what happens though, is one of the biggest um, changes at Riverside was after world war II, the, the Navajos, they came to Riverside in 1945. And it was just because, they were not going to school on their reservation. And so I, they had to, you know, and so they sent them to an off reservation school and that was Riverside. Um, and so they had mm-hmm. a, a lot of Navajos coming at that time. And um, that's when there was a kind of a shift that happened after World War II where, you know, the education, you know, it was more kind of like, you know, of a industrial school where they were just teaching them trades, the students mm-hmm. trade, you know, mm-hmm. how to be farmers, how to be, you know, that type of stuff. And, but then around after World War II, you know, they started letting, focusing on their education and getting them to college. And, you know, one of the things that uh, with the Navajos coming, I think it really kind of saved Riverside uh, because after the war, a lot of the, um, the um, boarding schools were closing down, uh, but because of the uh, Navajos, they weren't going to school, you know, back, back home on the reservation. Um, oh. It says in the, in the late 1940s, um, you know, several of the um, schools were closing down, but Riverside remained open because it took care of the uh, Navajo kids and they were all coming there to Riverside. Really? So that's one of the um, reasons why, you know, so they were bringing the Navajo kids from their reservation to an off, you know, reservation, you know, high school. And so I think that's kind of really saved Riverside, you know, because Fort Sill was, you know, in law and it closed down, you know, Chilaco, mm-hmm. you know, it closed down. Um, right. And all these, you know, different different boarding schools closed down. And still today, there's a lot of Navajo that come yep, to Riverside, and right? We do. And we have, yes, we have um, staff that's Navajo. And, um, you know, they, um, well, you know, just every tribe you can think of is at Riverside. I know, right? There's this, when we'll talk about that in a second, but there's this, uh, these big signs in the gym that have all the different right. type, uh, tribes that have been there. 
fascinating. Wow. This is a lot of great history that I think maybe even some people that go to Riverside or have been there may not even know too, right? Yeah. And there's a, uh, you know, back in, uh, there's a great book that the information I got from is Riverside, the first 100 years. And there was an uh, English teacher that was at Riverside in 1979, her and the superintendent, they got together and she did a lot of research. It's a really good oh, book. Good. It's really, has a lot of information. And then, you know, and then you can also get some of the, some information from like the um, history of Anadarko, you know, they'll have stories in there about, you know, Riverside and the students mm-hmm. and just have to kind of pick through and see some of those. Yeah. You almost can't talk about Anadarko without also talking about Riverside because it's been such right. a big part of the town. Do you think that the Riverside first 100 years book and the Quakers amongst the Indians book are both, can we find those on Amazon? Are they hard to find? You, no, you can find the, uh, the Quaker amongst the Indians book on Amazon. That's where I got that. But the um, Riverside book, no, that's okay. You're not going to find that one. You know, we have, um, I have a copy and there's maybe two or three other copies around campus. I wonder too, if there is a great little museum in Anadarko called the Anadarko Heritage Museum and for our listeners. And sometimes they have books like that too. I feel like I saw a Riverside book there one time, but you never Mm -hmm. know. That's yeah. That'd be really interesting to, to look at. Wichita's, they have a museum right across the um, the road from Riverside, and they they have some pictures and they have some stuff, you know. That, Is that, that open they, to the public? You know, I don't know now with COVID, but, you know, I really don't know. Um, it's been a while since since I've been there. Yeah, I need to go check it out. So does that bring us up to date with the history of Riverside? And that was super fascinating. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it just talks about, you know, in the 50s and 60s, how, you know, Riverside was really booming. I mean, it was like, you know, it talks about that it had the largest native 4-H, you know, so it was, it was uh, really, it had a really like a hundred member band at, you know, one time, you know, in the wow. 60s. <laughs> and during the uh, 50s, you know, they were really outstanding in sports. You know, they, they won like state champions in football and, and, nice. and track. And so they were really, um, had some great athletes come through. Yeah. I mean, think about these schools that produced such big athletes. I mean, Jim Thorpe went to right. was it Carlisle. Yeah. I think it's important that folks understand both the history, but also where Riverside is today. I've seen some misinformation out there that all boarding schools need to be shut down. And for a case like Riverside, that would truly be a travesty. So it's time to learn more, y'all. Let's start with what grades are here at Riverside today, how many students, what tribes, and so on. And, and let's just all learn more today. So Tim, feel free to share more about that. Well, currently today, um, um, we have our students from the fourth grade to the 12th grade. Of course, we're talking, you know, during the pandemic. So, you know, our numbers are, are really down, but if we were not if it wasn't a pandemic and if it's a regular school year, you know, we usually start out the school year with um, 500 students, you know, wow. our, we can hold 500 students in the dorms. And then, and then we have students coming from the Anadarko, you know, which we call day students that come. And so we could have like maybe 100 of them, you know, that, yeah. that, at the highest peak. And so we, we could easily, you know, have 600 students, you know, now do we end the year like that? Most time, you know, we, we don't because, you know, kids get lonesome and they, um, numbers do drop, but we start out, you know, with a lot of students. And, and so we have tribes that, you know, um, one time, you know, it's 76 tribes, you know, you were talking about, you know, the uh, banner we have in the gym. So we had like 76 tribes that have traveled through Riverside. And wow. Um, wow. And, and, you know, and we have, they come from, you know, all over the United States. We have like right now, our dominant tribe is the uh, Mississippi Choctaws, but yet we have like, 
So wherever there's a Indian, you know, they're coming from, if it's New York, if it's Florida, you know, we have a kid from Alaska, uh, wow. Oregon, and, and it just, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, sometimes we'll have a lot of Apache students, you know, uh, San mm -hmm. Carlos or white, uh, white mountain Apaches. And then other times, you know, it's, so right now it's like the Mississippi Choctaws, you know, we have a, a lot of them. Yeah. I think a lot of them go to Jones <laughs> Academy also. Yes. Yes. Because that is a, you know, primarily it's run by the Choctaw Foundation, by the Choctaw mm -hmm. tribe. And, but any, any tribe is allowed there, but definitely they've, they kind of take in more Choctaws. So what kind of obscure tribes do you see? Do you, do you recall? I don't know, you know, cause sometimes some tribes will have some really crazy names, but I'm just kind of like familiar with the Apaches, Choctaws, yeah. <laughs> Wichita's, Kiowas, and, and a lot of those Plains tribes and and, you know, we'll get, you know, one from like New York. We, we had a girl from um, New York, you know, last semester. Um, you know, that, you don't hardly get, you know, natives from New York. I know, or, or right? Florida, you know, I mean, we know the Seminoles are in Florida, but we don't get a lot of students, you know, from Florida. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. A few every once in a while. I, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about the Anadarko students. Sometimes kids that live in Anadarko will come to Riverside and it's not that far outside of town or anything. And I talked to a guy the other day who said that when he was in Anadarko High School, he had an art teacher who would not let him do any Indian art. So there was a special project where he could pick something to do. She would not let him do the Indian art. And, and, you know, there's probably a reason for that. Maybe they were studying European art that year or something like that. So he transferred over to Riverside Indian school where he was like, ah, oh, now I can actually do my art <laughs> yeah. the way I want to. And I think that that's yeah. an interesting concept, especially because nothing against Santa Darko high school. In fact, it could have changed since that long ago, but it's like you live in a very, this is a very Indian community. There are more Native right. Americans there than anywhere in the world. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. if you're not teaching that at the public school, it's kind of funny because there's, there's a lot of Natives there. And, and, you know, believe it or not, but um, maybe not at one time, but there was like four schools for the Natives in Anadarko. There was the, uh, the Riverside and then the um, Kawa one. And then there was St. Patrick's and then J.J. Mathens also, you know, there was a school there. So What? There was, I hadn't heard of J.J. Mathens. Yeah. So the fact that there were four Native boarding schools really tells you how many Native American students were there. Right. And it tells, you know, in the, in the um, you know, 1900s, you know, you're talking about 200 students, you know, at that school. And so there was there was a lot of. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and it was just up to seventh grade. So, you know. Oh, my goodness. Right. So 200 students was, only up to seventh grade at that time. Right. Before it became a, a full high school. Wow. I remember when my dad used to teach art there, the art classroom was kind of down in like a basement. So you could come, you could enter from the outside straight into his classroom. Mm -hmm. And I remember the smells of the paint and all those different things. And he said that he used to be teaching when he first started, he was really young. He was fresh out of I think he had his master's in art at that time. Either way, he got a master's in art, but he was still young and the kids were, you know, <laughs> testing him the first few weeks and they would like jump out the, the little windows that led up to the <laughs> ground floor. <laughs> He'd turn yeah. around, there'd be like no students left or only like three or four. Quick question, going back to when you were talking about the history and how the, there were some of the buildings that burned down and- I remember some of the older buildings when my dad was working there and now a lot of those are gone. There's the gym is still there, but it's mm -hmm. not being used. The new gym is awesome, right. but, and then they have the dorms that they call cottages and they just kind of look like a square box and they're named Comanche or 
whatever the case right. is, each one's named after a tribe. And as much as I know that someday those are probably going to be torn down to you, I kind of wish they weren't. If the gym was on good foundations, it probably could stay, but it's just, you know, we're not even allowed to go inside it or anything because it's just, you know, it's got a basement. So they're just afraid of it just falling and not on good. And it's for safety reasons, you know, we don't even like let kids kind of stand around it. I remember being in that gym multiple times. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to, you know, the students that go there, I know that there are some requirements for them to be able to be accepted. So what are those requirements? Well, of course you got to have your CDIB, but then there's a process, you know, um, even though you can have your CDIB and be native, but still you had to fill out an application. And, you know, once the application is submitted, you would have four to, you know, four to five administrators that would go through each application and there's a yes or no that, you know, if they, they want to accept the student or not. And so, and then if it's, you know, four no's and one yes, well, then, you know, the student, you know, will not get accepted. So, so there is a process and, and, it, and they, you know, each staff will, you know, look at the, the student's record. Where was he at? Was he, you know, and so everything they just kind of calculate into if the student should be accepted or not. Okay. And so um, a lot of times there's a waiting list because, you know, we just kind of get to our, our maximum students that we're going to have. And then we, we always have a lot of students that, you know, we have to just kind of like, well, we got to wait right now until, you know, more bids open up, you know, for the students to come. Mm, because I assume the BIE funds a certain amount of students. Is that how it works? You know, when I first got there, it was like for each student, you got paid so much. And so, but now it's kind of like, it's an, it's an enrollment, you know, you, you try to keep your, you know, enrollment up. I hate to say it like that. We get paid by the students, but that's just kind of how right, fun, right. kind of come. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that's for the public school also, you know, they're totally uh, students do they have. So, and it's not a cheap thing to run either. Right. As you know, I'm like a li little bitty village, you know, there you got, you know, over yeah. students, <laughs> 200 staff and yeah, you know. you've got the cafeteria, you've got food, you've got art, you've got supplies for different activities. There's right sports, etc. In fact, as you know, um, even before I started this podcast, I've always been trying to kind of raise funds here and there for different things. It's it's not for the school itself. It's actually for, um, typically it goes for the students for maybe different events they're having, or maybe prom, maybe they need prom dresses or they need yeah. um, basketball shoes or things like that. Also stepping back just a little bit, Tim mentioned that the students must have their CDIBs, that certificate degree of Indian blood. That means that they have been registered with the federal government. And um, when we we have these IDs so that we can be, you know, there, there's sometimes some controversy around the CDIB card. Oh, you're just a number, but you can't get into the school. If you don't have that, you can't get your right. um, help from your tribe. If you don't have that number and things like that. So it's an important piece of that selection process. So let me ask you, Tim, why do students come to Riverside? Why would they leave home and what are they seeking when they come there? Well, um, Rachel, you know, I um, reached out to, you know, some of the students because, of course, I you know, knew we were going to do this podcast. And uh, and I just I just asked, I sent out a, about, you know, 15, 10 to 15. Um, hey, why did you come to Riverside? What did you think of it? You know, that's Awesome. Yeah, that's a great and idea. It, and I was trying to I want them to tell the truth. I'm looking for like, you know, I hated it there. And it was but everything was positive. You know, it was one girl. She said, you know, she had relatives that attend there and she, they told her about the living in the dorms and the staff and. And then a lot of them, you know, help them grow up, you know, being there with their mm -hmm. independence. And, um, and then some of them, you know, wanted to get off the reservation. Um, 
one girl, you know, she said, um, you know, where she was from, there was a lot of bullying, you know, kids were having kids is what she said. And she didn't mm. want to be one of those girls. And so huh. um, she came to Riverside and, um, and another girl said her, you know, her mom was in trouble with DHS because of her. And she was like, you know, just not doing what she needed to at home. So she, you know, said, well, I'll go to Riverside and tell things are better for you. And she, you know, attended in the ninth grade and she said she just really loved it and ended up staying the whole, the whole four years. And wow. And you see that with a lot of students, you know, that they kind of, um, I remember a young man that was, um, you know, he was having trouble at, at home in the Oklahoma City area and he wasn't going to school or he was skipping and he was failing classes. And his mom, you know, brought him to Riverside and, and he's sitting there just so mad and not saying nothing, not speaking, you know, to nobody. And we're kind of like, you know, we know he's going to be here. And then eventually, you know, it's, it's, you just see him like starting to make friends. And then it, before mm. he left, he just loved it. He just really <laughs> blew I love that. And you see that with a lot of students, you know, they love being around native students, you know, the staff, they love being around native students. You know, I'm kind of in a position where, you know, I teach math. And so, you know, I could probably find a job just about anywhere or anytime, but, you know, I just remember one time standing there and watching the students go by, listening to them you know, saying the, you know, native slangs, like A and a. Just kind of little stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, man, I don't know. Something just kind of went over me. I said, man, I am so glad I'm working with these native students. And I'm so glad I'm here at Riverside. And so, you know, you make a choice to be there and to work with these students and, and to help them. And so, you know, they come for, you know, a lot of different reasons, you know, and you hear stories about, you know, Riverside changing their life and Riverside making a difference. And others will say, you know, if there's better opportunities, you know, I had at Riverside than on the reservation and, some, you know, come because they're in trouble at home. And, and to be quite honest with you, you know, Riverside's a lot better place for them to be than to be at home. You know, mm -hmm. we had a young lady that arrived today. You know, she was at Riverside. She went back home and it was better. And I was talking to a staff today. You know, it was better for her to be here at Riverside. You know, mm -hmm. we have structure. You're going to go to class. You're going to, you know, you're going to have, you know, three meals a day. You got a place to sleep, you know, and whatever mm -hmm. you need, you know, we're going to, you know, meet those needs for you. What's one great thing about, you know, Riverside and, you know, it's that, you know, we make sure the kids are taken care of. They need shoes, if they need clothes or, you know, laundry detergent or you know anything like that. You know, we make sure that those those needs are met, you know, for our students. Oh, for sure. And I would yeah. think that, you know, there are non-res kids that grow up as native with very few other natives in some cases, depending on what town they're in or state or right. whatever it is yeah. for them to all of a sudden be around people that look like them. It's just gotta be like shocking in a good way. But on top yeah. of that, they get to be around all these different tribes. So they have all these different cultures mixed together in one place and they get to learn from each other. I would think, yeah, I know I would love that, but. <laughs> and that's, and that's what, what, you know, one of the students said, she got to meet a bunch of different students from different, you know, cultures and different tribes and and we have, you know, uh, of course, predominant, in, you know, our staff is native. And so we really encourage, you know, the um, students to keep their culture, um, mm -hmm. you know, like for instance, the White Mountain San Carlos Apache, you know, crown dancers, you know, we have, a, we have a, uh, an Apache club. Uh, oh, cool. We have a whole lot of uh, Mississippi Choctaw. So we, you know, are forming a, um, you know, a Choctaw club to where, you know, because they, they, they love playing stickball. And so, yes. you know, we encourage them and say, guys, when you all come back after Christmas break, bring your sticks and, you know, we'll go play Jones Academy or, you know, and they they bring their sticks and we have a pole set up for them to play on the, um, the old football field where they can go out there, and, you know, and play. And we try, you know, of course, uh, hand games, we try to, you know, incorporate, you know, that type of stuff so our kids can participate in that. And 
So we can go play other high schools, you know, like, you know, some of the um, schools that are, have a, a lot of native students, you know, Carnegie, Apache, Anadarko, you know, we'll have a hand game and we'll try to set up some hand game, you know, competition against those other high schools. Fun to watch. It is interesting when I walk around the campus sometimes because there's these different things going on and I'm like, uh, no other campus will you see, not a college campus, not a non-native boarding school, <laughs> you see some of these things. Oh, there's drumming going on over there. Oh, there's people in their regalia dancing. That's pretty cool. Oh, you know, it's, it's just an awesome, you know, feeling, you know, whenever like <laughs> you know, in the evening time that the students are out and you can hear the drum, they're playing the drum, it just echoes throughout the campus. And it's cool. like, oh my gosh. Yes. Or, you know, or during lunchtime, you know, you know, they'll get the drum. It just depends, you know, like, you know, who's there. You know, like sometimes we'll have a strong drum group and then every year it'll be kind of down. But then every couple of kids that are singers, you know, with their family and they'll and they're, you know, we encourage them to sing and do that type of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. keep, keep their culture alive. That is awesome. And I, I feel like the role of teachers here at Riverside is different than in, say, a public school, too. They take on even more because of the demographics that they're working with, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, for instance, I was thinking of um, one of our teachers. Um, he, he does a, um, a native song and dance class. And what he does, he brings in presenters to like, so, so you may not see, you know, um, fancy shawl where you come from. They don't dance mm -hmm. like that or maybe um, buckskin. And so he brings this type of um, stuff for the other students to see and experience and, or, um, you know, flute playing. And so it's, um, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, talking to him today, you know, right now we're in COVID. So, you know, none of that's going on, but we're just thinking like after COVID next year, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, bring that back. And, yes. and so you might have a math teacher that will like get the TP to set up and do some math around the TP and, oh, uh, you, know, and um, you know, the circle and, you know, that type of classes you can do kind of centered around native culture. Creative and things that a public school typically can't do because they're set in these, um, they have to do a certain type of lesson plan yeah, at yeah. all times. And Riverside has that too, but it's, it's just different. Right. But, and the teachers, you know, like, you know, teachers will have to incorporate that somehow into their lesson plan, you know, okay. It's yeah. Native American month. All right. So, you know, I'm going to get out the, the TP and then let's set it up. So let's work on a, you know, let's work on a circle in the area of the circle and let's work on, you know, Pythagorean theorem. How can I apply that to a TP? Well, you just got to be creative. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot about that when we were making, um, as we're recording this, Christmas is just over. We're just in the first week of January. And I made a teepee for our gingerbread house oh. making contest for our, oh, yeah. with my family. And, and it was really hard. You need to know some math <laughs> when you're trying to, especially graham crackers. Like I was trying to eat around the edges and turn into a triangle. Nibble, Not easy. It off. And then I'm like, mm, that's yummy. So then you end up eating it. So, but I'll have to show you a picture of my teepee. Oh, yeah. Of course that's... I'm Choctaw. So we didn't have cheap teepee. So, but I grew up in Anadarko, right. so I was around them all the time, but you know, and some of the other things that we did, you know, or we do, you know, like in the summertime, you know, we had, um, so we just got out of COVID, you know, I'm just talking about this past summer. And so we finally got students back on campus and man, mm -hmm. it just felt good to see them. And, and so we, um, you know, we were showing the kids, you know, how to make drums, how to make drumsticks. Oh, cool. and, and we have to be sensitive too. you know, some, some um, tribes will not let the girls touch the drum. And so we oh. got to respect that. And so, you know, we, so what we did was we had the guys make the drums and, and other tribes will allow the girls to, Mm -hmm. But where we're at, where it's dominant, you know, 
And so we respect, you know, the culture. And so we had the guys make the drums and then the girls, they went and made, you know, uh, shawls. And um, then eventually um, they all made like ribbon skirts and ribbon shirts. And there was a basket weave in, you know, just all that type of, um, we let our students do that, that type of stuff this summer. Me too. I got to learn how to make a drumstick. Well, and again, you're having to, as a teacher, you are having to take into consideration so much more about all these different, it's diverse in a totally different way than other people would, they would just think, oh, they're all native. No, there's all these diversities within all those tribes as well. So Uh, you have to (laughs) take that into consideration. You know, uh, we have Pueblos and I haven't seen it in a while, but in in a past, you know, they would bring their regalia and it is completely different and awesome how they, you know, have their feathers coming up, you know, on top of their heads, kind of going outward. Yeah. Beautiful. Nice to see that. Well, and and then I remember speaking to a retired teacher there who said that um, the other thing people have to take into consideration and correct me if I say any of this wrong, but is that the culture for natives can sometimes be more laid back than in certain parts of the country, like maybe the Northeast. And so for those types of natives that do have a more laid back culture, Riverside has to meet those kids where they are too, right? Yes. And we try to, you know, we try to, um, you know, respect their culture and, and just be sensitive in that, you know, that area, you know, to our students. I mean, they come from everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and all their different cultures and we want them to celebrate that, you know, as well. So when it comes to learning their language, how does that typically work? Are there, are there some language classes there for say Kiowa and Apache and all that, or how does that work? In the past, there used to be, um, there, uh, but here, you know, recent there had, there hasn't been, you know, okay. so yeah. one of the things, you know, I, I'm taking this Kiowa language and they said, you know, we, we can get certified, you know, through the state and we'll be able to teach, you know, it'll be under world language. Oh, to where, yes. and, and if I, get that certified, then I'm definitely going to see if we can, you know, teach the Kawa language at Riverside. Well, especially because since you are in Anadarko, there's obviously a large amount of Kiowa there. And by the way, I took one Kiowa class, just one, and it just about blew my mind. It is so much more (laughs) challenging than Choctaw. (laughs) It is a, it is one of the toughest language. Oh my Lord. Yeah. And then the characters, I I mean, they're different than just an alphabet, you know? try to write you try to write the language <laughs> just like right that's yeah. not happening <laughs> i got i have to call up my the younger guys you know they're that's been taking a, a class for a while and say man can you go over this this words with me so oh that's awesome well i i'm all about the languages you know keeping these native languages going and um i it's so nice isn't it to see that so many more tribes are saying oh my gosh we got to start doing online classes yeah. or something because right. this is going to die out within 10 years if we don't and, so and really the, the way we're doing it too is through zoom and it's just a great way to do that you know we don't have to go totally. to Anadarko and get in a class we can be in Anadarko Norman you know, yeah Lockfield, and our elders you know they I think maybe one of the hardest things was just teaching the elders you know how to zoom but once they have it down or if they have somebody younger there you know we have our elders that are you know 80 85 that's on the zoom with us that will listen to what we're saying and that will you know correct oh, us that's and, awesome we're fortunate that we, you know, have our elders here to still teach, you know, the language. And again, also, you know, you're talking about the elders, the fact that they can also kind of, it's so easy between even a decade or a generation, for instance, to kind of the language can morph easily. So when you do have those elders on the line, I think, and I do take a, I take Choctaw classes online too. It does help that they can kind of give 
oh, well, this has been debated, but technically the original way to say it was this. And so let's try to stick with the original way that it was stated. I think that's kind of neat too. Right. Um, yeah. One of the phrases our Kawa elders, um, she says, she's all says, you have to think Kawa because we'll have a sentence and say, well, how do you say uh, it is time to celebrate? And they said, well, you can't say it is time to celebrate. You have to think Kawa. And oh. so what is celebrating maybe there's not a word for celebrating right right you have, you know, it might be just we come together or something yeah exactly wow well kudos to you kiowa and your beautiful language <laughs> that is extremely difficult and um, my hat's off to you for learning so and again i know a lot of these teachers and the alumni and no school is perfect but there's so much love for the school and the students and the instructors and and that's why i personally support the school today myself so Speaking of it's time to celebrate, uh, Riverside has been around for 150 years. And so alumni and students will be gathering to celebrate soon. Originally, it was going to be open to the public. And to you listeners, Tim and I were excited to say everybody's invited. But now because of COVID, there are, there's going to be more restrictions. And some of those could be lifted at some point during the year of 2022. But for now, let's keep the kids and alumni safe. And let's just, we're just, Riverside is just going to keep it between um, the students and the alumni and, and the staff there at Riverside. But let's at least hear more about how Riverside is going to be celebrating this big event. It's something that we're doing the whole school year. Like we started off you know, in August, we had a seat ring to kind of, um, you, know, you know, to kind of get things going, you know, mm-hmm. and it, our plans that were to like have the, the students get all seated, but, you know, the students were not, not allowed to come back until like, uh, you know, the first of um, November is when we finally got the students back. Aww. But we had, and once the students got back, then we, we started, you know, we did some Cherokee games to where, you know, like the chair, there's like four or five different games that, you know, they came from from the you know Cherokee um, Nation area, oh, cool. they did like the there's like marbles, axe throwing, uh, bow and arrow shooting. So we Fun. let the, uh, the staff and uh, the students and alumni participate in that. And and then we had a um, James and Ernie, you know the comedians, you know um, they came down and performed. And we had some alumni show up for that. You know we had some nice. traveled a long way, like about three hours to come Aww. to watch that show. And, That's and, awesome. But one of one of the things that we are doing though is we're having this. Um, it's, it's 150 years. We're having a 150 um, mile run, but of course we're not doing it all at once. We're breaking it up. And so we already did a, a part of that to where, and we're coming from every direction. And so we came from um, Chickasha and then um, we ran, you know, part of that 150 mile. And then uh, next week, we're going to do another part of it where we're coming from. Um, and we're trying to come from like, um, you know, the, um, the Comanche complex, the Okawa complex. Oh, smart. Yeah. yeah. Cherokee, I'm not Cherokee, but the um, Cheyenne, you know, up in, um, in Concho. So uh-huh. running from those different directions, you know. And so uh, we have um, James Nows, who, which is Navajo, Navajo staff. You know, he's kind of hitting that up. And okay, he had a, um, I don't know if you know Eric Smith. I mean, he's a Chickasaw bow maker. Um, oh, he, okay. So we have some arrows that's being made. And so as the students run or staff or whoever, you know, they run with this arrow. And so if they're running a mile or two miles and the next person up, they'll hand that arrow off. And so they run those arrows into cool. you know, relay race. Type uh, of thing. Kind of, yeah. It's like that. And Eric, you know, he uh, made all the um, bow and arrows for that movie, the Revenant. Um, really yeah. good so movie, he, by the way. Yeah. And so he made those for us and, 
And so we were just, um, you know, kind of appreciative of that. And so then wow. on January the 15th, next is when we're doing that running from the Comanche Nation. And then um, we'll finish up on May the 20th, which is going to be our senior celebration. Um, so we're having a powwow, but we're going to kind of include the alumni with that too. And so we'll finish that run up on May the 20th where we'll run into the, you know, the powwow. Great. Um, so will the powwow be on Riverside campus, I assume? Yes. And it, it'll be, it'll be open. So hopefully we'll be able to, you know, have more people come today because it's not going to be indoors. So it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be out, you know, outdoors. And then we have some other events, you know, next month we have a band coming from um, Levi in um, February. And then we have um, Adrian Chalapal. She'll be coming in March. And she's an alumni of Riverside. She's a comedian. So we're really oh, great. To her. And we have other things planned. You know, we have a fashion show. We have an art show, you know, that we've got going on. And we're going to try to finish up, you know, that powwow on the 20th of the big fireworks show. Um, there's no cost, you know, for we just, you know, the alumni or whoever's coming, you know, um, there's no cost to anybody. So all these shows are free. That is so great. And again, our fingers are all crossed that it's going to, you know, COVID restrictions are going to lift and everybody's going to get better. And then hopefully people can at least come to the powwow since it's outside. So um, stay tuned. If you have any updates, just let me know. And I'll be sure to post them on my native chalk talk, Facebook page, especially that fashion show sounds really cool. I assume that's going to be regalia or, or what do you think? Well, regalia, it just, you know, yeah, it's, it'll be a kind of native native regalia and native. oh so cool so um and we have like different we have a um yeah sesquicentennial you know team that we meet you know every other week and you know and so we have different people doing different things um wow and and so we, we'll put the information out you know on facebook um it's on the it's going to be on the official riverside indian school uh, facebook page and we'll put it on the um, Riverside alumni page, you know, so people get the information of what's happening. Great. We'll make a flyer and we'll put that out. So alumni, Riverside is expecting you to be there. Be sure to come pick out one of the events or all of the events that you want to come to. So exciting. I'll be joining as well uh, for certain things. So Tim is kind enough to allow me to come. I'll wear a mask if needed. So for those who will come to Riverside Indian School to help celebrate 150 years These folks are celebrating more than just a number or a year. They're celebrating the enduring spirit of our indigenous people and their survival. What was meant for evil turned to good in this of one of very few cases. And these Indian boarding schools started out to kill the Indian, as they say. But these Indians are carrying out their culture, traditions, and language forever. So, Tim, you mentioned that alumni can go on to your official Riverside Facebook page. So, again, it's called Official Riverside. Um, And I know that there's that alumni page that we're on. And uh, for our listeners, actually, Tim, can can folks send a donation to Riverside, again, for either the event or some things that the kids might need? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, So if you do choose to send a donation, um, um, you would send it to Riverside Indian School. Um, So I'll give you the... um, I'll give you the address. It's going to be 101 Riverside Drive in Adarko, um, Oklahoma, 73005 is the zip code. But I would definitely put on their attention sesquicentennial or uh, 150, you know, okay. if you don't want to try to spell <laughs> sesquicentennial. I know. I was just about to go. I'm going to have to look up how to spell that. Okay. <laughs> attention, we'll 150 just put 150 years. And, um, and it'll go to the cause, you know, of um, our celebration and, um, that's wonderful. And maybe those fireworks. And that's something yeah. all you folks who live in Anadarko can see. So in, in May, you're going to see some amazing fireworks, even if you aren't out at Riverside. 
So that's great. So it sounds like we can um, send some donations over to y'all for that. And also folks check out my native chalk talk, Facebook page and my website, as there are paintings and products there that you can purchase. And a portion of those proceeds go to Riverside too. In fact, um, Monroe Satoke used to be a teacher there at Riverside. And he is the one right now supplying those beautiful paintings that you see on my Etsy page and on my website and such. So 90% of our native population is gone, wiped out forever. And some of that number is a result of the boarding schools. And as we continue to hear more about our American Indian children and the boarding schools and about the painful stories of the past, let us learn and mourn, but let us also celebrate the survivors and their descendants and the good things that people are doing today. And again, I'll be there at some of these events. I'm excited to see the kids and the alumni teachers and all the staff please send this event some good vibes. And if you can donate to this great cause, Tim, thank you again for today and for all you and others are at Riverside are doing for these kids and see you at the 150 year celebration. Well, I hope Rachel, um, Dalkey that's it. God be with you. And I will, until I see you again, Obahawk. Yeah, my friend. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.